Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. This morning we're continuing our series called The Way of the Kingdom, and we are in Matthew chapter 13. And I want to read one verse or a portion of a verse from the Old Testament from the book of Zechariah and make a couple of comments and then get to Matthew 13. Zechariah 4.10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. The context of this is the building of the second temple after Israel has been released From the Babylonian captivity, for 70 years they were in exile. They have come back to the land, and they have laid the foundation for the temple. And at this point in time, you find that Zechariah and and Ezra and all of these these people are, are writing around the same time. You find that they're laying the foundation, and you find that it's not, if you read Ezra chapter 3, you find that this new temple that's being built doesn't compare to the splendor of the old temple. And so there were some people who were really upset about that. But we find God's promise. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We come before you recognizing that some days we live in days of the small things. We live in days where things don't seem uh, to be going as we think they would be going or things has, weren't going as we expected that they would go. Well, Father, we pray that this morning that you might speak to us very clearly from your word, that you might give us encouragement, you might give us wisdom, you might give us direction, and you might use your word to challenge us and change us and make us more like Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I think all of us have been there at one point in time or another. At some point in time, whenever we start asking God questions like this, God, what are you doing in this particular circumstance? God, what are you doing in this particular situation? And if we're really honest, some of us take that next step, although we might not voice it, but the next step is, God, are you doing anything in this situation? Are you doing anything in this circumstance. Now the answer is God's always at work. God's always doing something. But we have to understand whenever we approach God and we look at the work of God, sometimes we can get off track because of a few things. One thing is because of our own sin. Now what I mean by that is our own sinful limitations. That is because we are sinners because we are not fully redeemed yet because there's still the flesh that we're dealing with we find that when sin came into the world it did not just affect our relationship with God it affects the way that we view not only God but reality we do not view reality rightly because we see it through a sinful lens no matter who we are no matter how, how educated a person may be, no matter how devout someone may be, there's still this limitation that exists because of sin. So our own sinful limitations 
can cause us to not see the work of God clearly. But not only that, sometimes our our way of viewing things, we come upon that limit, that not a sinful limit, but the limit of our own humanity. That is, we have sinful limitations. Because of sin, we can't see things clearly. But also, because of our inherent humanness. There are things about God we just can't understand. Not because of our sin, but because we're incapable of understanding it. Because God's ways aren't our ways. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so even if God were to say, this is what's going on, we would still look at it in some cases and scratch our head and say, I don't understand. Because we have human limitations. But also, we may have some sort of expectation that God's going to work in a certain way and God says, oh no, I have something better. But then when we see God working, we sit and we look at it and if we're honest, we might say, is that really better? Because I liked my idea a lot. And my plan seemed pretty good and God, maybe if you had just followed this because I can't see where you're going with that. That's exactly the way God's kingdom functions. It functions in such a way as we've been looking through Matthew 13. We've been looking at these parables of the kingdom. And Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. These are the things you can expect when you're in the kingdom of heaven. And they run contrary to the way of the world. They run contrary to the way of earthly kingdoms. And we find, speaking of small things, we find in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, he mentions two parables. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Two parables, both of them very short, both of them conveying the same spiritual meaning. And what is that spiritual meaning? It's what we're looking at today. First of all, it's just one continual sentence. First of all, we have, have to understand that there is a small start in the kingdom. The kingdom starts small. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is sown and that grows. Or the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like a leavening agent, think yeast, that you would put into bread, you would put into flour, and that flour mixed with the, the leavening agent would eventually rise and you would bake bread from that dough. He starts out by saying, it's like a mustard seed that someone has sown. If you look on your outline at the end of that first statement, a small start in the kingdom and you see those, the ellipsis, the three dots. I, out of curiosity, Robert didn't plan this, but I measured it today. The size of one of those particular dots in that font. Thank you, Robert. That was a Holy Spirit thing. Holy Spirit's even controlling the font size that Robert's using, leading him in the right way. But the, one of those periods at the end of that first statement, 
That is about one millimeter. That is the diameter of the black mustard seed that would be most common in Israel during this time. That's how big that seed is. And Jesus says that seed, it grows and it grows into a tree. Now let's time out for a second. Mustard seeds never grow into a tree. Did Jesus make a botanical mistake? Well, no, because he was part of creation. So he didn't say, yeah, you know, I meant to make mustard seeds grow into trees, not bushes. I made a mistake there. No, that's not what's happening. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But the idea is that you plant a very small seed and it grows. It starts very small. Whenever you put yeast into flour to make bread, you do not put equal amounts yeast and flour. No one wants to eat that bread. You don't do that. You take a relatively small amount of yeast for a larger percentage of flour. Jesus is saying that his kingdom starts small. There's a small start in the kingdom. It starts in, get this, it starts in almost imperceptible ways. It starts on such a level that you might miss it if you're not careful. Now, this runs contrary to the way that the kingdoms of the day worked. An invading army would storm into a country. They would take over a nation. They would oust the former ruler or the ruler of the time, and they would, they would install their new king. It was very open. It was very clear. It happened in a, in a sudden moment in, off, in oftentimes, uh, or often cases. So you find that, that Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not the way my kingdom works. My kingdom, it works small. It starts small. And you find this throughout the Bible. You numerous occasions where there are small starts. Uh, you look in John chapter 6, verse 9. The multitude is there. Jesus has been preaching and teaching. And Jesus starts questioning about having uh, enough food or getting them something to eat. And we find in John chapter 6, verse 9, the disciple says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? This kid's got his, his lunch. He's got his lunch box, but really and truly, what's this kid's lunch for so many people? And we know, if you know what happens, you know what happens. Jesus takes that small amount of food and he blesses it and he miraculously multiplies it and he feeds everybody and they have leftovers. A small start, a small thing, a small anything in the hands of a great God can be used by him in ways far beyond our imagination. This kid could not have thought that's what would happen. You take whatever the smallness is that you have and you put it in the hands and in the care of a faithful and powerful God and you watch what he does. We have such small starts so many times in our own lives. So many times we say, I just don't feel like I'm making progress. I don't feel like anything's happening. I don't feel like anything's shifting. I've been praying and praying and praying and nothing's happening. And I've been seeking and seeking and seeking and I haven't found anything. And I've been waiting for God to do this great work and I don't even see it. I, I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to be a part. I want to I be involved in that. I want to walk in that way. And God just moves us incrementally in very small ways. It can start extraordinarily small. But we're to be faithful in that. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. 
I've heard people tell me before, well, you, you know, I, I don't, I'm not gifted in that way. I'm, I'm gifted in just a very few ways. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really have all these talents. I don't really have all of this capability. I don't have all the resources that this person or that person has. And so therefore I'm just not going to get involved. Therefore I'm not going to serve. Therefore I'm not going to, I'm not going to step out. No, you be faithful with what you've been given. Be faithful with the little. Be faithful with the mustard seed. Be faithful with the leaven. Be faithful with that small amount. And watch what a faithful, powerful God does from there. Because it's not about your capability. It's not about your talents. It's not about your gifts. It's about God's empowerment. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about God taking that, that we surrender to him and then using it in a mighty way for his kingdom. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 28, Paul writes, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God love to use the small things, the lowly things, the despised things, the forgotten things, because that way nobody gets glory but him. Those small starts are designed. They're orchestrated. They are divinely, intricately designed to bring glory and honor and praise to God alone, because you can't swagger around and say, wow, God sure is lucky to have me. I I bet God sure is glad that I brought this to the table. Where would the kingdom be without me? Operating just the same. We need God. We need him. But he uses these small starts, whether it be a mustard seed or a little bit of leaven or whatever the small thing is that you have in your life that God may be saying, I want to use it for the kingdom. And he is a faithful, powerful God. And even that small thing in his hands, in his care, with his empowerment, can become great. Which brings us to the second point. A small start in the kingdom spreads gradually, but surely. It spreads gradually, but surely. That mustard seed that is planted, given the right conditions, it grows and it grows and it grows. And it spreads. That leaven Whenever you put that yeast in that flour, it grows, it spreads. It spreads throughout the entire amount of dough, but it spreads slowly. If any of you have ever baked bread, some of you probably during the pandemic, you probably launched into bread baking. Uh, I did in our house. We, we, between Paul Hollywood on the Great British Baking Show and the internet, there was bread everywhere. I mean, it was carb heaven there were there was i mean you know and then i'm using i don't know how many of you ever watched great british baking show then i i found myself using the same terminology that he was using like i would cut a loaf of bread and i would say that's good crumb excellent crumb nice crust not a stodgy it's not stodgy at all you know and i'm in there talking to myself thus cabin fever we all know what happened during pandemic we all got cabin fever baked bread and did all sorts of other things whipped coffee whatever that was about um so I, whenever you, you start baking bread, you have to let it, you have to let it proof. 
you mix the yeast in, you knead it, and then you put it in a place without a draft and you just let it sit. And it expands and it grows. As the yeast starts its work and, and starts, starts eating the, the sugars and starts multiplying, you find that it grows and that's what makes the air bubbles inside. But it's a gradual process. Your package of yeast may say instant yeast, but it ain't instant. It just means it's quicker than the regular yeast. You find that whenever Jesus is talking about this leavening, though, they didn't have instant yeast. It wasn't just let it sit for an hour and come back. No, this was a longer process that it took. And for a mustard seed to grow, it's not an instantaneous thing. It takes time for it to grow. And so the kingdom of God starts small, but it spreads. It spreads slowly. It spreads gradually, but it spreads certainly. It spreads surely. It's going to spread. Notice Jesus uses this illustration of the mustard seed, and he says it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown and is larger than all the garden plants, becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, some people have said, some commentators have said, and I just want to address this, some commentators have said, since Jesus used birds in a previous parable and said that the birds represented Satan snatching away the seed, then this means that even in the kingdom, there's going to be satanic influence that tries to infiltrate it. Because that's what Jesus meant whenever he used birds earlier. Well, there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is because this is a different parable. And so there's a problem. And secondly, the phrasing that Jesus uses, the Jewish listeners of the day would have known exactly what he was talking about. Because this was a common biblical way to refer to a kingdom that has many people from different nations coming under its care. Let me illustrate this. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23. This is speaking of the future kingdom of the Messiah. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. Now, Ezekiel here isn't talking about Satan and his demons nesting in this tree that is the future foretold kingdom of the Messiah. He's talking about all these nations coming under the care of the Messiah. But it's not just limited, this illustration, not just limited to the Messiah's kingdom. He extends that and uses the same metaphor for pagan kingdoms. Assyria in Ezekiel 31 verse 6, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs, under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. So Ezekiel here, it's a different tree, but it's the same idea. It's spread so far and wide that it, people come from all over the place to be cared for by it. We find the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. 
In Daniel chapter 4, verse 20, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, calls Daniel in, Daniel interprets it. And Daniel says in Daniel 4.20, the tree you saw which grew and became strong, so its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in those and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. He goes on in the next verse to say, it is you, O king, it's you that will ultimately fall. But he's the Bible in the Old Testament uses the idea of a spreading branch of a tree where birds come and nest to represent, to show that these kingdoms spread and their influence spreads and that it brings many nations underneath its care and its rule. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not making a commentary about birds being Satan. He's saying the kingdom of God is going to spread gradually but surely and he will bring under its care and under its rule all of these people from all over the place and god will work as we mentioned god will work in some very unique ways to accomplish his purpose to accomplish his his whole uh, everything his whole plan for his glory he will do whatever it takes let me give you a great example. You might have heard this before. This might be something that maybe you've read, and so many times I think we just look over it. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus gives what we refer to as the Great Commission. It is the commissioning of his disciples to go out and make disciples. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By the way, that's the reason the commission has teeth. Because he is the one who has all of the authority. So therefore he has the authority to send us out to accomplish his mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has the authority to send us out. Jesus establishes what the plan is to establish his kingdom. And then Jesus says... And I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to empower you to do the work that I've called you to do. So Jesus gives the Great Commission. But we also find that before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus makes these, this statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He tells the disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's sort of a very short, encapsulated version of what he has said earlier in Matthew. Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations. Here he says, this empowerment, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. You, you need to stay put until you get this empowerment by the Holy Spirit so you can go and accomplish what I want you to accomplish. Notice where he says they're going to be his witnesses. Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What happened after Jesus said this? Well, they packed up all their stuff and somebody said, I'm going, to, I'm going up in this part of Judea. Well, I'm going to stay here in Jerusalem. Not me, I'm going to Samaria. Let me get, my, let me get all my stuff together and I'm going to go. No, that's not what happened. They just stayed put. They stayed put in Jerusalem. Jesus said, go make disciples. 
They said, yeah. And they stayed. And he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they said, all right then. And they didn't go anywhere until Acts chapter 8. This is after Stephen was killed, the first martyr in the Christian church. It said, and Saul approved his execution. And look at the next verse. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. They stayed put in Jerusalem, and then persecution came. And then what happened? They were sent to Judea and Samaria and beyond, actually. They were sent out because they were trying to escape the persecution of Christianity. And thereby, they became witnesses in Jerusalem, because the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. You find that God even allowed that persecution to come so that his purposes would be accomplished. Now we sit and we look at this and we say, that just seems so hard. That seems so odd. Why would God do that? Remember what we said earlier? Our sinful limitations that we can't, we can't see things rightly. But not only that, sometimes there's that divine veiling where because of our humanity, we don't understand. We don't understand all the particulars and all the details. And maybe we do have a different expectation. And God says, I, I have my way of doing this. I have a particular way of doing this, and it is my way of doing it. And you may have a way, but it's not my way. Sometimes I have this, I have this idea I remember the, the first time I kind of thought about this. Now, I didn't have some sort of vision or dream. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes it feels like this. Sometimes I feel like I drive up to some sort of work site, and, and, and it's basically my life that's being built. And I drive up, and Jesus is there. And, and, and I pull out some plans, and I unroll them, and I say, look. It's a great plan. I worked really hard on it. Look, I've got page after page after page of detailed, detailed things, just little minutiae that I've worked on, and I've got it all worked out. Look at it. All you have to do is bless it. Just adopt the plan. I've worked so hard. And in my mind, it's as though Jesus just says, did you do that all by yourself? Yeah. Not realizing that's a setup. Yeah, I did. I know. But I have my own plans for you. I have my own plan for your life. Okay. Well, let me see it. And it's as though Jesus just lays down the plans and he unrolls like he gives you a corner. And you go, okay. And? That's all you need to know right now. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. There's a lot more plan you got rolled up. Yeah. Why can't I see the rest of it? No. Not yet. In time, in time by faith, in time by faith, that plan will unfurl. In time by faith, that plan will be made clear. Moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. 
That's the way God works. Now, I'm not saying this is a, you know, like, oh, well, that's a, oh, that's a biblical illustration. No, I'm just saying that's sometimes what it feels like to me. When God's working his kingdom gradually, but surely. And he's working his kingdom in every one of his children gradually, but surely. You may get frustrated. You may get irritated. You may try to figure out why am I in this holding pattern and has God forgotten me? God has not forgotten you if you're his, if you're his child. But God is doing work and it may be almost imperceptible. It may be like that mustard seed growing and like that, that yeast spreading. You don't just sit there and just wait and watch the yeast rise. You don't just sit out there and pull up a chair and watch that mustard seed moment by moment, minute by minute. But when you go back and revisit it from time to time, you realize, oh, there's change. Oh, there's growth. Something's going on here. A small start in the kingdom spreads gradually but surely and brings greater than expected results. It brings greater than expected results. Now, I mentioned that a mustard seed does not grow into a tree, and it doesn't. And we've looked at the illustrations and looked at the references of the Old Testament. But it's interesting that he says it grows into a tree. Because the hearers would have said, mustard seeds don't grow into trees. Jesus says, right, that's the point. It's not that he's making a a botanical mistake. Jesus is saying, In my kingdom, these small starts outstrip the expectations of the small start. It's the same thing with the leavening. Three measures of flour. Now, we think three measures must be three cups. It's not three cups. Try try more like two gallons. That's a lot of of flour. Some, some translators and some scholars have said it may be more than that. So let's just imagine that. Jesus is saying, it's like you put a little bit of leaven in a whole lot of flour. More than you're going to need for that household. It's a whole lot of flour. The hearers of Jesus, whenever he's telling this parable, would have said, two gallons of flour, that's a lot of flour. That's a whole lot of flour to make bread. And a mustard seed growing into a tree, well, that's that's greater than we expected. We thought it would be a bush, but no, now it's a tree. We expected you put a little bit of leaven in a little bit of flour. Oh, no, you put a little bit of leaven in a whole lot of flour. And he says, in my kingdom, that's how it functions. It's a greater than expected result. What I do in my kingdom... This is the Dustin George translation. What I do in my kingdom will blow your mind. You have no point of reference for what I am able to do in my kingdom. From a very small start, you have no idea what I'm capable of doing. See, what happens is this. We take our own human limitations. We take our own failings. We take our own, our own error. We take all the stuff, and then we try to overlay that onto God and view God through that lens of our own limitations. And God says, I'm not like anyone else. In the Old Testament, he makes a statement. You thought I was just like you. 
And the idea is, I'm not. There is none like you, O God. So no one's like God. And so when God operates in his kingdom, we should expect that God is going to do the unexpected. We should expect that God is going to operate his kingdom in a way that goes far beyond our human understanding. This is what we find in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. New King James says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You ever think about that? The stuff that we pray about, God says, I I can do more than that. I can do far more than that. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Do you know how in my prayers sometimes, I I know some of you have heard me do it. Sometimes I end my prayers with this. And God, if what we are asking for, if what I am asking you for does not befit your glory and is too little a thing for the display of your power that you want to show, then do that greater thing instead. Do whatever, if what I'm asking for is too little, then you and your wisdom, you do the greater, because I don't even know to ask for it. But you do that instead. I'm asking you for this, but if it's too little, you do that. If it's, if it's something you want to do that's even greater, that befits your glory in a greater way, then do that. And can I just tell you, I've seen God answer that prayer. I've seen prayers that I prayed. I've seen God say, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'll do this. And, and then whenever it comes to pass, I think, oh, wow, God, thank you for doing the greater. Thank you for doing greater than just the little thing I was asking for. Thank you for doing far more abundantly than anything I could ask or even imagine. I think one of the keys to this is the word that Jesus uses about the leaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven, verse 33, is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. That word that's used there that he used is the word that we get our word encrypt from. To hide something, to to encrypt or write something in code. Now, I'm not saying, oh, we should look at the Bible and try to find the Bible code. That's not what I'm saying. But what Jesus is saying is that that leaven is hidden. It's tucked away. It's obscured. It's not quite visible. And it produces this greater than expected result. Do you know what the Bible says about followers of Christ? That we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in him. We may not make sense to the world. We won't make sense to anyone. If we're living our lives according to God's word and according to leading God's spirit, the way we live our lives will not make sense apart from seeing our lives through the lens of Jesus. That's what should happen. We are hidden in Christ. And the work of God's kingdom is sometimes hidden in us. And God works it, and it's gradual, and it produces greater than expected results. And so we embrace that because 
if we're followers of Christ, we are part of his kingdom. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Can I tell you? That's the way it ends. How did it start? Well, it started way, 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 way back. And God started working his kingdom. And then little by little, all through the Old Testament, he's working his kingdom. And then they have the inauguration of his kingdom and the coming of his son. Small start, little baby, tucked away in an obscure corner of the, of the universe, a little dusty backwater. And this is where, this is where the king of the universe is born. Fully God and fully man, that's a small start. But his kingdom grows and it spreads. How does it grow and it spread? It grows and it spreads through his followers. And we're followers because we follow him. We surrender our lives to him. We confess our sins to him. We turn from sin and self and we turn toward Christ alone. And we are brought into his kingdom as his children. And what's the greater than expected result? When all the nations are going to bow down. And the multitude, the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. His kingdom is fully realized. We see it in all of its fullness. From the mustard seed, small amount of yeast start, to the glorious eternal, visible reign of Jesus throughout all of his creation. That's what we have to look forward to. That is the way of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And Lord, there may be some here this morning, some watching, some listening, that they're outside of the kingdom because they have never made a decision to surrender their lives to you. They've never made a decision to cry out for forgiveness for their sins. And Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus. They would say yes to the way of his kingdom. They would say yes to the humility that's required. To bow before a cruel cross and a bleeding Savior who died and who rose again that through the blood of Jesus, we can be saved. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We can't bridge that gap by ourselves, by our own talent, ability. We can't do it. A righteousness that we find within ourselves, from our own works, it's impossible. It is only because Jesus took our place as a substitute. And if we receive that free gift, if we confess our sins, if we surrender our lives, then we will be saved and brought into the kingdom as your children, God. Father, I pray today would be the day that someone make that decision to do just that. Father, I pray for those of us who are followers of Christ and who right now we may be struggling. That small start may seem like 
a slow go. And we may be looking at situations and circumstances and saying, God, where are you in this? God, are you in this? Father, I pray that you would give clarity, you'd give wisdom, you'd give discernment. Father, I pray when we see in those situations that this is of you, that we will remain faithful and we will stay put. And Father, if you are, you're speaking and saying, you need to make a course correction, then I pray that we would be willing and open to do just that. Father, we give you thanks for the small starts. Because every single one of us here today who is a follower of Christ, we are here today as followers of Christ because you, you initiated that small start in each of us. You came to each of us. And from those small, simple beginnings, those small, singular acts of surrender, Father, you are growing your kingdom in us. You're making us more and more like Christ. And one day we will stand in glory and we will worship and see the kingdom of God fully realized, visible, glorious, and eternal. And we get to be a part of that. And we thank you for that reality. So, Father, we give ourselves to you now. And we pray that you would give us the strength, the wisdom, the discernment, and we would operate by faith so that we would not despise the day of the small things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.